Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. With all that's going on in this crazy world, um, we're starting to see that when we study the book of Genesis, how the world has lost its moorings. When you see all that and with all the prophetic implications, it goes back to our foundations, and that's what we're studying today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through chapter 2, verse 3 is what I'm thinking we'll probably reach today. The title of today's message is The Responsibility of the Dominion Mandate. And what I've told you before, the big issue here in the, in this particular section of Genesis is all about man's responsibility. So it's a heavy theme of responsibility. And what we've touched on the last few weeks is that the opposite is happening in our society. Everyone's claiming to be a victim. There's special victim groups, special this, special that. And there's victim groups every, almost every week there's a new victim group that you and I have to deal with. And somehow they're entitled to special treatment, special privileges that the rest of us don't have. But the issue then, what you're going to see today is the issue of what is man responsible for? And here's the deal about this responsibility thing. When you decide to do exactly what the Bible requires, and the, the dominion mandate has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with just being a human being on the planet. What is your responsibility as a human being? What you're going to see is if you will actually do the dominion mandate, you will actually find meaning in life because you will do what you're exactly created to do. And that's why you saw even on the prophecy update, why is there so many increases of suicide related to drugs, alcohol, and, and whatnot going on? Why are so many people on medication? I'm not talking about physical problems, but they're having mental breakdowns and things are happening. They're stressed out. They can't cope with reality and whatnot. Why is this at an all-time high? It's because a lot of times, barring chemistry, buying by, uh, you know, the biology of uh, maybe your body going out of whack, but the issue is people are not living according to what God wanted them to do. They have decided to live in another reality, another time zone, so to speak, if you want to say. Because if you don't do the dominion mandate, you immediately put yourself out of reality. And when you do that, you will go crazy. You won't think straight anymore. And then when you see these things, they're simple, real simple. I mean, a five-year-old could understand the dominion mandate. But dude, if you don't do it, it puts you on another course in life, another path. And people start losing meaning in life. They don't know what they're here for. They cease to exist for what God created them to do. And think about this on another level. Deep down inside, we respect people who take responsibility. We respect those who refuse to play the victim. We respect people who take more on. That's why we respect our military. Because they take on a responsibility, they go the extra mile and defend our country. So we respect that. We respect anybody that takes more on and takes that load on them and bears that. We respect that. You intuitively know that. Do you really respect people who play the victim? Do you respect people who have checked out of reality? Do you respect people who refuse to work? Do you respect people who want to claim special rights? No, you don't. You know, it, that goes against the grain. You respect responsibility. 
And that's what you're, we're going to be taught here. Let me give you an example of how bad our society has become. It took a federal court to decide this case. And think about it. What, what, would, what would take a federal court to decide a victim case? Was it nuclear war? Was it serial killers like Hannibal Lecter? Was it an outbreak of bird flu? What, what did we need a federal court to decide about a particular situation where someone was claiming to be a victim of this mean, bad monster, and they needed the federal court to protect them? Do you know what it was? This is how bad our society. Let me show you this picture. This took a federal court to decide this particular case. What is the case? Two girls claimed they gained weight because they ate at McDonald's. Yeah. Believe it or not, there was a suit by two girls who, they, they, this is what they ate. Big Mac, large fry, large drink. There's about 1,600 calories at a pop every time you eat this. Okay? And they claimed it was unfair that McDonald's packed on the way. One girl got the 270 or something like that. Anyway, their lawyers took up a class action lawsuit against McDonald's, and they took it all the way to a federal court. The judge looked at it and he threw it out. He says, this is ridiculous. And thank God he did. He had enough sense to say, you girls are not victims. You have a, you have a, uh, a choice whether or not you're going to eat McDonald's or not. They didn't force themselves upon you. And you cannot claim that you gained weight because of McDonald's. It was your fault. Thank God that the court was sensible enough to realize that. But what about these girls' families? What about these girls? I'm a victim of McDonald's. They're packing on weight. This is where our society is going. That, that someone would blame McDonald's for not only the, the caloric intake of, of a Big Mac and, and a cheeseburger or whatever, but they even tried to sue McDonald's for the coffee was too hot and it burned my lap when it spilt in my lap. Well, that was your fault. You spilt your own coffee. I mean, it's just, it's getting ridiculous, right? But that's where things are going. If you continue to accept a victim mentality, nothing is your fault. That's the opposite of what God is saying. So let's look at some of the responsibilities today, get down to the nitty-gritty about what we're talking about. Setting is the dominion mandate. Okay, We looked at it a little bit last week. The dominion mandate includes procreation, reproduction of the human race. And so it's basically the dominion mandate is the consequence of being an imager. We're made in the image of God. And because we're made in the image of God, we are to carry out the dominion mandate. It's a consequence of our position, basically, of that imager. What it includes, authority, duty. Oh, that's a bad word. Duty? Yeah, duty. It includes duty over the material world, over the animals, and basically everything that God puts under us. Now, to refresh our minds, originally Satan was given this duty over the original earth with the angelic host before we were even created. Satan fell. He lost this. As we'll see later on in our human drama, Adam and Eve will be the, the king and queen of this dominion mandate and to make sure it gets carried out. But they will fall and be usurped by Satan, and Satan then becomes the god of this cosmos, the god of this world, little g. We'll talk more about that. But right now, we're just looking at what God is making man responsible for because he's been given this authority now. 
He is a vice regent, so to speak, of planet Earth. Let's go to the first text, and it's real simple, and it says this, fill the earth. This is in verse 26. Now, what does that mean? It has to do with reproduction. We looked at that last week. It has to do with marriage. It has to do with producing babies, right? But then he says, fill the earth with them. Spread out through reproduction. This will not be obeyed by man. In fact, the Tower of Babel will come later on. We'll study the Tower of Babel, and man will refuse to spread out. He will not go out and inhabit all the planet. God's goal is that mankind reproduce, and through that reproduction, they don't stay together, but they spread out to take the dominion mandate all over the planet. You think, okay, that seems simple. Man is supposed to spread out. Well, it didn't happen, and God spread them out through the Tower of Babel by confusing the languages, but right now, what we're seeing prophetically is a return to the Tower of Babel. Man is now starting to get clumped up. Man is starting to now pull towards urban areas instead of rural sprawl. And that's intentional. Not because God wants it, but he said he predicted this would happen. It would go back to a one-world government. And what you're seeing now today is they'll do this through saying, well, there's an overpopulation of humans. The overpopulation is a myth, guys. It's not true. We are not being overpopulated. And they want to alarm you because they don't want more children being produced. This is why they've come up with abortion. But that goes against the grain of the dominion mandate of have children. Our culture has reached a point in America where it's become a death culture. When you can sit there and say, we can kill babies after they've been born, you're in the level of infanticide at that point. That's, that's unbelievable. But this overpopulation, where did it come from? It came from Sir Thomas Malthus in 1798. And this is what he said. He predicted that uh, there would be a food shortage by 1890. He recommended killing the poor. He recommended letting diseases take entire populations out. By 1968, Paul Ehrlich of Stanford picked up the idea and claimed that reckless reproduction has overwhelmed the earth. He predicted famines that would kill about 20% of humanity by the end of the 1970s. By the way, did that happen? No. But here's the crux of the matter. They took this false myth and it was adopted into the UN and it's specifically the agency of the United Nations Fund for Population Activities. Here's their logo. This is one of the most evil, deceptive organizations for the UN you could possibly imagine. They are the ones behind China's one-child policy. They're drastically trying to reduce the populations through abortion, through laws, through different policies whatsoever. And by the way, they're working 24-7 to do this, and they're succeeding. Here's the truth. You want to know what the truth? The truth of the matter is every family on earth right now, based on the population, could live in their own house with a front yard and backyard on a landmass the size of Texas. 
Serious, man. The whole population of the planet could live on Texas. Yeah. Every individual on the planet could have 1,084 square feet for themselves. They predict, and this is according to the UN, population will peak in about 30 years, and it will start going back down. It'll peak about 8 billion point oh two. What's the idea here? What the UN and what these leftists are trying to say is we got to reduce the population. We have an overcrowding problem. We got yada, yada, yada. No, it's not because of overpopulation. It's because your stupid economic policies. That's what the problem is. It's your stupid governments. That's the problem that you don't know how to manage the population. We have no problem with populations. So when you see someone says, hey, we got to stop having babies. We got to stop doing this. They're going against the dominion mandate of fill the earth and populate. So let me give you some of the Edenic covenant stipulations. This is the dominion mandate, but it's called the Edenic covenant in another way of looking at it. Let me show you some points here. The first point is this in the Edenic covenant, that mankind is to fill the earth with humanity by reproduction via marriage, having families. Okay, that's real simple. Then the second one, or uh, the, the let me let me say this: the implications in uh, in this is that there should be a managed local government of these individual families. And the key understanding of this, and you'll see later on after Noah's flood, is the institution of government is based on individual families. And the way you want to think about this is because God is spreading the things out. What God wants is local control over that particular area. He does not want a global government where one person's in charge of the entire planet. The idea of spreading out is to create local nations or local states indiv individually. Okay? And so what would theoretically have happened is Adam and Eve would have had their families, their families spread out, and each individual family unit would have created their own enclave or nation, and they would have been in charge of that. That's how God wants it. He wants nations. He does not want a clumped-up one-world government. And so that's what the Dominion Mandate is pushing. So the UN and the rest of the leftists right now want a one-world government. They're going against the Dominion Mandate completely. Spread out. So the headquarters would have been the Garden of Eden as they spread out, but there would have been individual nation states here. And right now, the UN under Agenda 21, if you've ever read Agenda 21, they do not want individual nation states. They don't want borders. They don't want a wall. They don't want any of that. They also don't want you spreading out into the countryside. Under Agenda 21, they want you and I to be clumped up into cities. They do not want you living on a farm. They don't want you living out in the country. That's intentional. And they're doing it. All you have to do is look in Northern California, what's happening up there. It's coming to a city near you. In Northern California, let's pretend that you own 300 acres up there near San Francisco, the wackadoo place of the whole state. Okay? Let's say you own 300 acres. That person who owns 300 acres, he says, well, I want to develop my 300 acres. I want to put apartments. I want to put condos. San Francisco say, no, you're not, because we need a viewscape for the bicyclists. No, no joke, man. They will prevent that guy from doing anything on that land 
so that bikers can have a viewscape. I, I know that sounds crazy, but that's all under Agenda 21. They do not want you building up those areas. They want those areas to stay in a forest area, in an undeveloped area, and let it go. But they don't want anything being built up there. And so they're forcing people to move back into the city. Hey, let me ask you this question. Would you like to live in San Francisco? I don't think so. They got all kinds of stuff going on in there. I mean, you can't even walk through San Francisco now without seeing human feces, bums everywhere, and then you have uh, hypodermic needles all over the place, people living everywhere on the street. It is turned into a cesspool. Go down to L.A. and see what's happening down there. They refuse to make anyone live according to their standards. So you have this whole homeless population down there that's spreading third world diseases all over L.A. They won't do anything about it. Hey, you ever take a look at the Garza Circle? You ever drove around there? What's going on there? How come no one does anything about that? It's filthy. The only thing I saw the city do is put trash cans there. What's going on? I'm going to tell you what's going on. Agenda 21. And Agenda 21 does not want people to find jobs, spread out, and do what humans are supposed to do. It wants them all clumped into the city. And if you don't want to work, then that's fine. You can just live on the street. They don't care. Why would they want you in the city instead of in the country? Control. It's a big C. Control. I can control the population when they're in urban areas. I cannot control the population when they live out in the country. You think about how American in its best days was agrarian, right? We were the most moral when we were rural. You introduce cities, what happens? What are the worst cities? New York, L.A., San Francisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, Atlanta. Just keep naming them, how bad they are. It's the same theme in the Bible, guys. Every time you'll see a city, it's bad. This is bad. Sodom and Gomorrah. What did Lot want to do? He wanted to go into the city. What did Abraham do? He stayed out in the country. He lived in a tent. He would not go into the city. So again, this all goes to this dominion mandate. Then he says to this, real simple, subdue it. Subdue it. So the idea is that man should then subdue it. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, let's, let's go through again the Edenic stipulations real quick. The first one again, Fill the earth. And the second one is this idea of subdue it. Mankind subdue the earth. He is to use the natural resources and energies of the earth that God had given him. We are to harness the natural resources for our betterment. Wow, that goes against everything the Sierra Club preaches, Brandon. I can't believe you would disagree with the greenies. Well, I'm just saying the, the, the dominion mandate Said And the Hebrew word, is, this is interesting, implies using force, implies using exertion of energy to harness earth's power. Isn't that interesting that God just didn't give it to us? He said, develop it. It's yours. You need to do it. And so it implies duty and responsibility. It implies many, many things. When you look at this, so, so look at the natural resources that God gives you. Minerals, water, soil, animals, vegetables. It's all yours, he said. But you're going to have to go and develop this. Man is now in control of this. He has a duty to deal with them. 
and he's to bring order out of it from the chaos. See, if, if you notice the, the pattern of Scripture, we talked about the earth being in chaos from the fall of Satan, from the judgment of Satan, right? And so it was in chaos. And then God recreates earth for mankind. So order comes out of chaos. Well, the same thing applies. He gives us this earth. It's a beautiful earth, but you and I have to work order out of it, out of the chaos. And you will have to do that same thing for your life. You have to bring order out of chaos. Otherwise, your life will go chaotic. And the only way you can bring order out of your life is to become more like Christ. That's how you become orderly in your own personal life. But this is then to bring order to benefit mankind. So what does that imply? What implies science? That man has to in, invent the, the study of science, and we have to then learn about all the things of science that we, we need to know. God doesn't give it to us. He says you need to explore this. This includes physics, chemistry, biology, geology. And we would have, obviously, inventors like Einstein. Thank God for him. He discovered, discovered the theory of relativity that brought us out of Newtonian understandings of things. This is good. It's good. And we've also found certain things out. We found out that cats are like liquid. And if you can see this, I mean, liquids take the shape of a container while maintaining a constant volume, and that cat fits perfectly in that container. So we found certain discoveries that, that obviously has helped us. And, but it, it means also the development of technology and developing of, the, of engineering and, and then obviously medical and think of the medical advances that we've had. We've come a long way, haven't we? I wouldn't want to live in the 1700s. I wouldn't want to live in the 500s when they were draining your blood thinking that was going to work. Man, bad stuff was going on. But we're now at a point of technology, man, where, hey, people are living longer, and we can do certain things, do transplants. I mean, amazing stuff. Now, we're still working on things. And I will say this. Think about this. Israel... Only been a country for a little time. It's on the verge of having a cancer breakthrough that will cure about 90% of the cancers out there. Leave it up to Israel. Of course they would come up with something like that, right? So Israel, a lot of their medical is coming out and inventions, they're, they're blessing us. It's amazing. But can you imagine a pill that would cure about 90% of the cancers? This whole cancer industry that makes a lot of money on people being sick, they'd be broke. If Israel had that pill, don't you think about that? I hope it happens. If you've ever suffered with cancer or had, had a, a person in your family suffer, it's a disaster. It's a nightmare. But thank God for Israel developing that. We're still working on a few things. We're getting some things right, and we're still kind of working. But the area of plastic surgery, we've, we've, we're kind of doing some things now. And, and you can see in some of these pictures that we're still working on our abilities with plastic surgery, I wouldn't recommend it at this point in time. It's still fairly relatively new. And unfortunately, every time you see someone have a plastic surgery, they don't end up looking the same for some reason. And the quintessential example is this guy. Um, how do you go from that to that? So my advocate, my, my, what I'm advocating is, hey, medicine's getting better but don't do this area of medicine because they, quite frankly, haven't perfected it yet. We're still working on it. But again, it involves agriculture. The study of agriculture would be in there. 
obviously commerce, business, and trading. And think about this with business. Let's look at this guy. And you know who this guy is. It's the colonel. I don't see too many KFCs anymore for some reason. Popeyes took it over or something. I don't know what the deal is. But think about this. I, I know this sounds crazy, but the colonel kept the dominion mandate, whether he knew it or not. That means, I know it sounds bizarre, but he created a business that would help people. That this was part of the dominion mandate, that you, you get involved in your job something that helps humanity, whether it's feeding them and agriculture or it's medicine or technology, whatever, that's part of the dominion mandate. It applies all of that. And so even like someone, uh, you know, like the colonel was following the dominion mandate, whether he knew it or not. But it involves education, obviously. It involves religion, only the one true religion, of course, of the one true God. But the dominion mandate would imply that there would be an understanding of who the one true God is. And so that would obviously be developed in mankind's dominion mandate. Now let's apply this. Simple, right? You can understand it. That's what the dominion mandate implies. All these technologies and things should be harnessed for man's good. Let's go on a societal, cultural level, because now I'm going to get not politically correct are politically incorrect, I should say. Here's what happens. Based on the dominion mandate, I then take that template and then I can apply it to any culture. I can apply that to any nation and say, how well have you done in keeping the dominion mandate? Again, this is not having to do with Christianity or belief in Yahweh. It just simply means as a human being, what has your society done to develop and harness the natural resources of planet Earth. Oh, wow. That means you're going to judge cultures based on the dominion. You better believe I am. That's what the dominion mandate does. So let, let me give you an example. When I was in Africa uh, a while back, I went through areas of Africa that it looked like I went back in time. And why do I say that? Because they were still living in mud hut and grass thatched roofs, and there was a witch doctor. And I'm like, wow, a witch doctor. I saw that like on cartoons and stuff. A witch doctor and, and mud huts? Yeah, again, I'm not trying to demean anybody, but again, question. If I apply the dominion mandate on a culture that still today in 2019 lives in mud huts, what am I supposed to think? They have been disobedient to the dominion mandate. Hence, I can make a fair assessment and say they have not been obedient to that dominion mandate and they will be judged as a culture for that. And you can take the dominion mandate and put that on any nation, any culture, and apply it, and then what you'll come up with is a politically incorrect statement, typically. And interesting enough about this dominion mandate, wherever Christianity has actually went, or Judaism right? For some reason, the dominion mandate seems to be kept. Look at the West, look at the United States, and look at Israel today. Two nations that have kept the dominion mandate, haven't they? Look at Israel, only a, a, a country of uh, just a few years, 70-something years, and they're on the cutting edge. Compare Israel to Saudi Arabia. Do you get what I'm saying? Compare Israel to Pakistan. Compare Israel to Egypt. 
Compare America to North Korea. You see what I'm saying? So what, what you see happening is there are certain countries that have actually done the dominion mandate, have harnessed the natural resources, and are more developed countries, right? Cleaner, sanitary, medical's up there. We have the best medical. Our delivery system's no good, but we have the best medical. So does Israel. Why is that? Was it just luck? No. You have a culture that's obeying the dominion mandate. This is why Israel would always be blamed for Europe's problems. They blame the Black Plague on them because Israel would keep the dominion mandate and the Europeans wouldn't. And so, like, for instance, developing medical. Why didn't the Europeans know not to deal with cadavers, dead bodies, and then go over and deliver babies? How come they didn't know that? How come it took the Jews to show them that? Because the Jews were keeping the dominion mandate, and they were not developing the medical necessary to understand you can't touch dead bodies and then go deliver babies. And the Jews had to show them that. And then now they're up on that, obviously. But that's because of the dominion mandate. Let's move on. It says have dominion. So that's another key word in the dominion mandate. It's where we actually get the definition of the dominion mandate. And it says this, number three on this outline I want to show you about the Edenic stipulations. Mankind was to have dominion. This provision extended to man's authority over all living creatures. Look at this. It says, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing. Now, this idea here is this, that man is in charge of the animals. The animals are not in charge of him. Man is in charge of them. Now, if you've ever seen these dog whisper guys and these cat whisper guys, have you ever seen those shows? And you watch in there and you look and you think, Wait, who's in charge here? That chihuahua right there is in charge, right? And Caesar has to go in there and get that, that chihuahua figured out and calm him down. Or then that cat dude, I can't remember his name. He, he's kind of weird. But you go in there and this cat's in charge of this house. And he's like the Cheshire cat in Alice in Wonderland. You know, and he's smiling from ear to ear because he knows he's in full control of the situation. So the cat whisper guy's in there and, and he has to do his thing. And you see competent adults bowing a knee to a chihuahua. And it's like, what's going on here? And he has to figure them out. And then there's this other guy. I've never seen him as a lion whisperer. I don't think I'd want his job because he thinks he can speak to lions. And so someday, you know, we're going to find him on the front page and he was mauled to death by a lion. But he thinks he can speak lion. But my point is this. We're to rule over the animals. They're not on par with us. And neither is the vegetation either. We're in charge of it all, the physical. But here's the deal. The green movement is telling you the opposite of this. The green movement through radical environmentalism, and here's all their things, save the planet, kill yourself. Well, thank you for that message. The tree huggers, earth first. They have put animals above man. And they put the, the, the vegetation above man, or at least on par. It's quite shocking, but it goes against the dominion mandate. And again, we're not talking to that we're supposed to not be good stewards of the planet and take care of the animals. And I'm not saying that, but they're not to rule us like the green people want us, and like PETA wants us. 
It's getting a little ridiculous now, especially with this green movement, this radical green movement. And I want you to see a video right now of how ridiculous it's actually becoming because these people actually believe this stuff. They believe a tree is on par with us. Watch this. If this isn't a shock, I don't know what will. <laughs> Weeping over the trees. Deep in the woods of North Carolina, an extremist eco-group called Earth First bewails the violation of American nature. I want to mourn the loss of all the old growth trees I've seen. And tell them that we love them and that we don't want them to die. That there are some people here who do care. So I want you to know that, trees. That we care. I think we are deeply hurting in America. I think we are deeply craving answers. I think that we've lost our identity as we have evolved into technology and into industrialized society. Bring me to this cathedral. Bring me to those guys. Bring me to this rock that has the most incredible life. That makes me feel alive. I've looked at clear cuts and burnt forest and I've felt outraged, but I didn't scream and I didn't cry. And I need to. I can't watch it anymore. Cut that thing off, man. If that doesn't show you how crazy, I mean, they probably go to Berkeley or something like that. But if that doesn't show you how crazy people are act acting, I, I mean, whoa. I mean, they're crying over the trees and apologizing to the trees. Yeah, man, that's their mentality. Now, hey, I understand. There's a there's a whole level of useful idiots in this group. But then the upper echelon, you have to understand, the upper echelon is totally political. They politicize this whole thing, and they do this to college kids and make them think this way. But what we're saying is it's going against the Dominion mandate. Trees are not on par with us. Neither are animals. We take care of them. We're, we're a good steward of them, but they do not have the rights that human beings do. They care more about bald eagle eggs than they do babies in a womb. That's when you know you're upside down as a country. So part of the Dominion Mandate is to know the right order. Man is at the top of the food chain. Okay, let's continue on. Now we're going to start seeing that God's going to prescribe a diet for mankind. And again, I want you to look at the Edenic stipulations and jump to number four. And um, this is the fourth stipulation. Mankind's diet is to be a vegetarian. Okay, so let's read that and I'll explain it. Verse 29. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. And to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Now, again, stay in context. This is before the fall. This is before Noah's flood, because right now we are permitted to eat anything we want to. 
Okay? So you, you have to stay in context. God creates and then he provides. So this is a principle. God creates and then he provides for, and he's going to provide the animals and us for food. Okay, I got that. I sometimes wish that people who would have children would provide for them because the same principle applies. If you create something, you need to provide. God does that, but a lot of people kicked that off to the government. But nonetheless, what is this principle of vegetarianism at this point in time? Well, vegetarian is for theological reasons more than it is for health reasons, okay? A lot of people want to make more of this text than what it really is. It is not an advocation for vegetarianism today. It's not. In fact, the Apostle Paul warned Timothy that in the latter days, some would start putting food restrictions on people and making that a spiritual issue, a la Seventh-day Adventists or whatnot. Okay? Nonetheless, let's stay in context. What is the theological reason for God telling mankind and the animals to make them all vegetarian? Simple. There's no death. There's no death. In order to have to eat protein, you would have to kill an animal. Now, the plants probably provided enough protein. Okay. So the idea then is I don't want physical death because the fall had not happened. So animal life could not be sacrificed in this sense for food. So it's a theological reason. There's no death. So if there's no death, all you can do is eat plant life. So what you'll see is after the fall, things change. And the animal, you could eat an animal. And... And you could do other things. And even today, we can have, we can basically eat anything. So at this point, thank God for that, because I am glad. So think about this. We've moved from fruit to now we can go today at lunch and grab an In-N-Out burger. And I like a four-by-four, four and you can get your fries as an animal style. Have you ever had animal style? They're quite good. You think, oh, the calories in there. I know. If you go there, you know you're not going to be able to eat a bunch of stuff after this. But... You can eat this. Do not let cults or anyone tell you you have to be a vegetarian. If they tell you that, they're in cult land. They're in an apostasy. Now, you, if you decide to be a vegetarian, knock yourself out. You just knock yourself out. You go ahead. You have the freedom to be a vegetarian. But you're not required spiritually to be a vegetarian. The lack of protein in a lot of the food stuff that we have is not even comparable to what it was in the Garden of Eden. It's completely changed, especially after the flood. So, but it does include this. It does imply a young earth. How so? In the evolutionary mindset, they have animals killing each other all the time in the evolutionary mindset prior to man. Theologically, the scripture is saying you could not have death until after the fall. So if that was the case, you're looking at a young earth. It implies a young earth. And we've already talked about a young earth, but it's another proof text for that. Let's, let's, let's see what God says after it's all said and done. Now, verse 31. Then God saw everything they had made, and indeed it was very good. Notice the verdict, very good, it's, it's the verdict that, that, this is a total perfection of God's recreation of the original earth. So there's, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And notice that it says the sixth day. 
it's implying the importance of God's created activity has now come to an end as far as recreating earth. Thus, the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them, talking about the stars and everything filled in the earth, were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now, this is key. That term rested does not mean that God got tired. He doesn't get tired. He's eternal. What it means in the Hebrew is he abstained at this point from any other creative work as far as creation is concerned. Now, God is still continuing to work. He created the new Jerusalem. He's going to create the, the millennial kingdom for us, and we're going to actually return back to the Garden of Eden, back to paradise. But it means that he has abstained from his creative work. It's called in the Hebrew Shabbat or Sabbath. It's a verb, not a noun in this one, so don't call it, oh, he's establishing the Sabbath. He's not. It's called creation rest Sabbath, and it's a verb. This is important. I'm going to make a connection to the New Testament just a bit. Then God blessed the seventh day. The blessing means he's given potency and power to that and sanctify it, set it apart, elevate it, separate it out from the rest of the days. It's not just simply applying to the work week because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Okay. The first point of understanding this is it established a work week for a man. This is very interesting. All the ancient cultures had a seven-day week, and they don't know where they got it from. But all the ancient cultures were functioning on a seven-day work week. Now we know why. It, 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 it was a corruption of the original understanding of God creating six days and resting on the seventh. And we still have that work week today. Isn't that interesting? Still have the same seven-day work week. People don't acknowledge that. But there's more here. And this is where I want to bridge it. It's reference to the creation rest of God. And this creation rest is available to believers. We're not talking about salvation rest. We're talking about a creation rest that's related to Genesis 2-2 right here. And the way I have to bridge it is I have to bring in Hebrews for this. So Hebrews chapter 4. This is our application. Watch this. And this is our responsibility. This is this idea of, of responsibility. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, this is where the creation rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. He's talking to believers, so he's not talking about salvation in Hebrews 4. He is talking about a creation rest for believers. Only believers can get this. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, talking about Israel, using Israel as an example, by the word which they heard not, didn't, uh, or heard, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, the reference he's talking about is the, the Israel generation that came out with Moses in the Exodus and refused to go into promised land. That's the context. That's the reference he's making to Israel. It wasn't that Israel, that generation, was not saved. They were saved. It's that because of their unbelief, they refused to go into the promised land. They didn't do it. It doesn't mean they weren't saved. It just means they wouldn't do it. So it, this is talking about something entirely different other than salvation. Verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest. We get initially involved in it. 
through salvation, because you have to be a believer to get this. You have to be a believer to get this. As he has said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although works were finished from the foundation of the world. So God had prepared Israel to go into the land, take the land, but they refused to do it. And then so God says, they're not going to enter my rest. What was What rest is he talking about? Salvation rest? No. It was a different rest. If they would have entered into the land, they could have possibly got this creation rest. But because they refused, they're not allowed to. And you remember that, that generation was called to wander in the desert until that generation died, right? They were forgiven, but they're going to die in the desert as a penalty. They will not enter that creation rest. Keep going, Brandon. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, this is talking about Genesis 2-2, in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's how we're relating it to the passage we're in, Genesis 2-2. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Why? Because Israel's unbelief, not for salvation, but for unbelief for going into the promised land. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, referring to Israel. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Psalm, Psalm 95, today as, as such a long time as it has been said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's talking to believers, saying, guys, don't harden your hearts to this creation rest. Hmm. Interesting. He says, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. So the idea is that Joshua eventually took that second generation into the land of Canaan, but Joshua didn't give them this kind of rest. Joshua only gave them what's called Canaan rest. Canaan rest. But Joshua couldn't give them this creation rest because only Messiah can give creation rest. Yeah, Brandon, I'm following you, but I still don't understand what you mean by creation rest. You have to enter it as a believer. It starts the program. Keep following. In verse 9, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Well, I don't know if that helped me anymore, Brandon. Well, let me give you contextually what's going on. If he's not referring to salvation and he's not referring to ultimate glorification, he could only be referring to one thing, sanctification. Oh. Oh, what's the application then? What you've just studied in Genesis 2-2 is related to sanctification rest, which is also called creation rest. What do you mean? Well, you have to be a believer to be in sanctification. You have to be justified, and then so you have to start the program. But then once you're in sanctification, the way you receive creation rest is through spiritual maturity. That is the theme of Hebrews, spiritual maturity. And since he's referring to that, the only way as a believer to get creation rest is through spiritual maturity. Okay, I'm following you. 
then what is this rest? What are you talking about, Brandon? What is he talking about? What's creation rest in? What spiritual maturity get me? He says, you'll cease from your works just as God did. Remember, God ceased from his works, his creative activity. He ceased from You'll enter a sabbat in your own walk with the Lord. What do you mean? Once you reach certain levels of your spiritual maturity, you will cease to struggle with certain things in your life. Certain proclivities that you've always had and you think, I can't get past this. The answer to why you can't get past it is spiritual maturity. If you reach a level of spiritual maturity, you will stop struggling with fighting whatever you're fighting in your sin nature. You will actually have victory. And once you have victory, you enter into creation rest with that area. So let's pretend that you struggle with an addiction, some type of addiction, food addiction, drug addiction. You struggle with some type of addiction. If you reach a certain level of your spiritual maturity, the struggle will stop. This is why people can't figure it out. Why can't I break these sins in my life? Why can't I get past these stuff? Because you haven't reached a certain level of maturity in your life. If you would, you would actually stop struggling and you would, you would cease to work in that area because you're done. You have victory and you won't have to go back. And this is what people don't understand. This creation rest is only available for those who decide to mature. Those who decide, I'm going to go on and I'm going to seek it. But here's the deal. Do you know why people don't do it? Man, it's hard. It's just hard. Let me give you this picture. Let me show you this picture. Do you know what this picture is? It's the Shire. Do you guys ever see The Hobbit or read the books, The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings? Maybe not. But let me explain. J.R. Tolkien put the Shire in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy because J.R. Tolkien's a Christian. If you, if, you, if you watch the movies or read the books, you'll have Christian themes all throughout the whole books and movies. It's amazing. The Hobbit, the Shire, where the Hobbits were, were insulated from where life was. They didn't know what was going on, on the outside. They lived in a protective bubble of ignorance. They had no idea that there are bad stuff out there. And, and if you remember the, the scenes with the wizard going to the hobbit saying, you've become too comfortable. You need to get out of the Shire. You have no idea what's happening. I'm, I'm embarrassed for you. Remember Gandalf saying those kinds of things? It's building on the theme of creation rest with J.R. Tolkien was putting into the text. So the idea is, we need to get you out of the shire, out of your comfortableness, out of your security, and you pretending that bad things are not happening because out in the world are these things. There are dragons out in the world that we're going to have to deal with, that you're going to have to slay in your own personal life. In Joshua's day, it was giants. And then there's very evil creatures out there. In Lord of the, the Rings, he put the wraiths in as representative of demonic hordes. And there's a whole demonic world out there trying to destroy you. You can pretend that it's not happening. You can pretend there's not a dragon out there that represents Satan. You could pretend that these wraiths or these demons are not out there and live in the Shire. But you'll never get 
to the point of creation rest living in the Shire. You just won't. You remember the last scene in the, the last Lord of the Rings. If you've ever seen this, they destroy the ring. Everything's done. Evil is destroyed. And they go back to the Shire. And they're sitting there in, in a tavern or whatnot. And they're looking around. And the people are oblivious to what's just happened. They know what's happened. They destroyed evil. Everything's went down. And they're looking around. And the people in the tavern just act like nonchalantly that nothing's happening. That's how you will feel once you go to a certain level of spiritual maturity. You will start looking at other Christians saying, what's wrong with them? What's happened to them? Why are they so checked out? Why are they not engaged? Why don't they understand the threat? Because they're living in the Shire. That's the problem. They won't come out of the Shire. They want to pretend that they're in a bubble and they refuse to get creation rest because you don't, they don't want to fight dragons. They don't want to fight race because they're too comfortable. That's the, the, the application of Genesis 2. If you want it, it's there, but you're going to have to fight a dragon. And it's a hard fight, but you'll never be the same. And once you get a taste of that creation rest, it's the abundant life. It's where it's all at. And you're, if you don't have a taste of it, you don't know what I'm talking about. Mature, grow, and then you will get it. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.